If you're here for the first time, I'd like to greet you. My name is Mark. I serve as one of the elders here, and it's my privilege to bring the sermon to us this morning. If you're joining us online, greetings and welcome to you, especially if you're uh, joining for the first time. Uh, glad to have you with us. We're in a series in uh, Psalm 119, as Rob mentioned during worship, but um, we have one more sort of milestone we need to acknowledge. We've acknowledged uh, uh, an engagement and uh, dedicated a couple kids. But there's a special birthday today. We have a very special member of our church who's having her 80th birthday today, and that's Pat Adams. So, Pat, happy birthday. We're a family, and we rejoice together, and we also pray together when uh, things are tough. And I want to just give you an update. Um, Vince and Bonnie Hinders, uh, Vince is one of the pastors here, uh, their daughter, Demetra, 10 days ago, had uh, a heart transplant, uh, for which we're grateful that she, she could have that. But it's been a very slow recovery, and uh, I just want to give you a, a brief update, and I want to take a moment and, and pray for Demetra. Um, in the, in the process of, of having the transplant, it's taken a while for the heart to sort of get working properly. It seems to be working properly now. She had a stroke, and you all prayed for her last Sunday morning as that was kind of going on. And she's recovering from that, but the recovery is very slow. I talked to Vince this morning, and he just asked if we could pray for her left side to recover from the effects of that stroke, and then also for her breathing, if she could begin to breathe properly on her own. Her lungs and her heart need to, to start to sync up together for the, for the first time. Vincent Bonnie are grateful for your prayers and encouragement. Uh, they're settled into a routine and uh, finding God's peace as he's spreading his favor over them and uh, grateful for that. But they s just said it's, it's hard uh, to watch your daughter suffer and be in so much pain. So uh, we want to we pray for them. So I'm going to just pray from Psalm 18 and verse 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. So God, we have been, many have been calling upon you in Demetra's time of distress and need. Thank you for preserving her all these decades. Thank you for this new heart that you have provided for her. Thank you for the slow recovery that's beginning to occur. And we thank you most of all, God, that from your temple, you have heard our voices and our cries have reached you. And we ask that this cry would reach you once more today. And we pray for Demetra to begin rapid recovery on her left side and for her to be able to breathe effectively on her own. And we pray for a relief from all this suffering and pain and that this could be a week of, of recovery and, and uh, eventually returning home, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in a series in Psalm 119. This is a five-week series, so we're going to go through five of the 22 sections. We have these bookmarks. One of the hopes from this series is that these eight synonyms for God's Word will get some shelf life. 
some, some traction in, in, our, in our thinking and in our reading of the scriptures generally in Psalm 119 particularly. So those eight synonyms and a brief definition are on these bookmarks as is the series itself. So you can pick one of those up on your way out. Or if you're at home and you'd like one of those, uh, send us an email and we'll mail one to you. The passage this morning is uh, verses 9 to 16, and uh, Julissa Vialta is going to read the passage. So, Julissa, please come and read. She's got a little cheering section over here. That's good. I hope that's for the word of God. Um, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. I'm going to pray from verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach us your statutes. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach us your statutes. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach us your statutes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to ask if you'd think with me for a moment about how widespread is the desire that people have to be clean. Every 12 years, more than 100 million people in India, Hindus, dip themselves in the Ganges River seeking cleansing from sin. Closer to home, you might think about the advertising that you see for diets and how uh, words like detox, cleanse, Flush are in, in those ads. Might think about uh, in, in, in uh, seeking uh, to overcome an addiction, one is seeking to, sometimes it's said to be clean and sober. Interesting phrase. We have phrases like keep your nose clean, clean up your act. Or we might sometimes wake up acutely aware of being unclean, aware of our own guilt or regrets. It's a hard way to wake up because there seems to be a nearly universal sense that being clean and being pure is a good thing. Now, not all may agree on what that looks like, but there seems to be an innate human desire to experience that. And that's the theme of our passage today. These eight verses are are built around this idea of purity. And it starts with this Very good question. How shall a young man keep his way pure? That's an excellent question. Now, what if you're not a young man? Does this apply to uh, the rest of us who who aren't young men? I think it's most likely the reason he phrased this this way is because he was probably a young man as he was writing this poem, this song, this prayer to the Lord. And the reality is, uh, purity isn't something that only applies to one particular group of people, right? So how, how shall young women keep their way pure? How shall soldiers keep their way pure? How shall retired people and teachers and all of us keep our way pure? So in this passage, 
the psalmist is expressing a core need, the need for purity. He's also expressing a core conviction, a delight in God's word. Those two things are going to be right there, right in front of us. I want to ask why. Why is he seeking purity? And why is he seeking to delight in God's word, resolving to delight in God's word. Why? Why is that? I want you to hold that question. We'll come back to that later. But I want to just introduce you a little bit to where we are in this unique chapter in Scripture. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in Scripture. It has 22 stanzas because there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So each stanza of this poem begins begins with and is, is related to a different Hebrew letter. And so each stanza marches through the successive letters of the alphabet, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, Hey, all the way down to the end. So we're in the second one here. So if in your Bible, if, if yours is like mine, at the beginning of this section, the, the letters B-E-T-H are there. That's not a person's name. That's the second letter in the Hebrew alphabet. It's pronounced Bet. And, and it's, it's sort of equivalent to RB. So the eight verses in this stanza all start with that same Hebrew letter, bet. And so the theme of this stanza is purity introduced at the beginning and, and developed particularly in these first three verses. If I could sort of try to give you the, the summary, the claim, the, the big idea of, of these eight verses, I'd propose to say it, it well, I'd start it this way. More than anything else in the world, I want to absorb your word so I can keep my way pure. But again, I want to ask, why? Because that's all right there in front of us. I think that's, that's findable there. But why keep our way pure? Why absorb his word? The reason I'm pressing on this is because I think for many of us, it's easy to read the Bible and miss God. And I've done that with Psalm 119. This study has really brought home to me how clearly I've seen these connections with God's word here, but I've largely missed it. This is, this is not just a teaching about the inscripturated word. This is a conversation with a great person. And I wonder how many here might... See, that's, that's my experience, maybe not just Psalm 119, but with the whole Bible. Do you find that you can read the Bible but not encounter God? You can read the Word but not get to know that person. And, and if that's you in a season of life, or maybe that's you for a long time, I hope this passage and this psalm can bring you hope that God desires to know and be known by his people. That's why he speaks to us. See, this writer isn't just looking for a life of rule following. He's not just trying to stay out of trouble. He's not just meditating on an abstract idea about the Bible or God's word. He's hungry to know and be known by God. This psalm is one side of a conversation. He's letting us listen in as he thinks about and talks with this great person, God. And so I want to say, I think the, 
the, the, the, the summary idea here, if I could boil it down into a sense, is this. More than anything else in the world, I want to absorb your word so I can keep my way pure so that I can know you and be with you and love and be loved by you. This is a, this is a psalm about a person in a relationship with a life-giving God covenant-keeping God. So let's see how's that, how that develops as we work through this core need and this core conviction. We're going to look at the, the, the first four verses under the heading core need. What is the, what is the need? Well, I, I tried different ways to get this. The need is the word, but the need is also purity, but the need is also you, Lord, I need you. And so it's, it's all of those things. They're all a package. You can't separate and, and, and pull them apart. So, so how, how, does this, how does this open up? Well, he, he begins with a problem, an obstacle, a difficulty. What is that? It's the problem of sin. Look back at verse 9 with me, please. I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open or keep your screens uh, ready as we, as we go through this because we're going to refer to these different verses. Verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now as a, as a young man, this guy's grasped three important things about the problem of sin. Wonder, as we go through this, have you grasped these things? First, he wants to follow God, but he recognizes that he's prone to wander. He talks about life as a way. J Justin talked about this in the sermon last week. Life as a, as a, as a direction, as a, as a road that you're following. So he says, how can a young man keep his way pure? Well, that way has to be guarded so that you don't go the wrong way. And that way can be wandered away from and, and end up in the wrong way. So he understands that it, he's, he's prone to wander even though he wants to follow God. He also, second, understands that his problem isn't just out there. Now, he's got a lot of out there problems. In next week's passage, we'll see that he's in the midst of a lot of trials and afflictions and the, the heat of, 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 of difficulty is upon him. But he, but he wisely understands that that fundamentally, the course of his life isn't determined by what's out there, but by what's in here. That's what he calls his heart. That's why he keeps talking about his heart. Our heart is that inner compass that, that directs the course of our lives, but he recognizes that he can't just be true to his own heart. He recognizes his heart needs intervention. It needs help. So that's why he says, I've stored up your word in my heart. Help from the outside. With my whole heart, I seek you. I can't just find the course, the right way for my life by looking inside. I'm looking to you. I'm storing your words so that I won't wander from your commandments. So he understands that he's prone to wander. He understands that the control center for his life is his heart. And third, he understands that sin is a real big problem. It's not just sort of an old-fashioned moralistic category. Sin... Well, well, sin is the fundamental problem in the universe. Everything wrong in our world traces back to this three-letter word. Sin corrodes and destroys relationships, and that starts with our relationship with God. And he gets this. He says, 
Your word I have stored up in my heart that I might not sin against you. He recognizes that to sin is to disaffect a person. So this guy is pursuing purity. How can a, how can a person keep his way pure? So let me just pause there. Let's do some, some self-evaluation, some reflection. How do you feel about living a life of purity? For some, that idea can evoke feelings of, oh, that's not going to be fun. That's boring. That's a sure way to a joyless existence. For others, maybe for some here, it can sum it up past disappointments with the purity culture that was in many churches and to some degree in this one too in the 90s and early 2000s. Things like true love waits and I kiss dating goodbye. These were well-intended but flawed efforts to promote purity. If you were disaffected by purity culture, please let's talk because God is a redeemer. But the goal of living a pure life Living a life on God's terms, I want to say it's not outdated and it's not oppressive. Jesus gives a ringing endorsement of purity when he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You see the relational connection? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, our writer understands the problem of sin, but he's not focused only on sin. He's delighting in the beauty of purity. And again, I want to say, why? Why so delighted in purity? Why so committed to pursuing this? And again, I want to say, we need to just slow down here because it's so easy to, to read this psalm and miss the relationship. He's so passionate about these things because he understands. And do we understand these things? He understands that he lives in God's world that God has spoken to him and summoned him into a relationship with him. He understands that the best life possible isn't dabbling in sin, planning to repent later, but it's living life God's way so that he can know and be known by God. See, this writer, he's not worshiping a book called the Bible. He's in a conversation with the author And that brings him joy and delight. And that conversation informs him about the remedy for sin. What's the remedy for sin? Look back at verse 9 again. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to, what's it say? Your word. Your word. Verse 11. I have stored up something in my heart that I might not sin against you. What have I stored up in my heart that I might not sin against you? Your word, right. So the remedy is found in God's word. Now, we're going to slow down and just think about this word word for a moment because as I said, there are uh, eight synonyms for God's word in, in this psalm, and those are what's, what's on the bookmark. And each week we're going to just scratch around and, and dig a little deeper into one or two of those. So Justin worked on law and testimonies last week. If you weren't here, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon. Today we're going to work on word and then later on statutes. When you think about God's word, if I just say to you God's word, what's the first thing that comes to mind? 
I think for many of us, it's probably the Bible, right? It's probably this, this book that we call the Bible, and, it, and that's good. It, it should. The Bible is God's inscripturated word. It's God's word preserved for us. But, you know, I find that sometimes in my own life, and I hear this often in the lives of other Christians, this word from God can be sort of handled in a way that it becomes sort of a disembodied set of rules and regulations for how you're supposed to live. It's sort of a, a moral guide to life. And it does guide us morally, but that's not primarily why it's there. That's not the end of Scripture. The book isn't the end. The book is the means to the end of knowing the great triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's this God whose voice we hear in these words, which is what makes this book unlike any other book in history. This book is God's letter to you. It's God speaking to you. God's word is everything God has to say to us and has lovingly preserved for us in this book we call the Bible. So think about if God's word is everything he has to say to us, well, that's a lot, isn't it? That includes stories and proverbs, gospels and songs and promises and warnings. God's word is what he tells us about himself. It's what he tells us about our world and about the future. It's what he tells us about what's wrong in the world and what's wrong with us and the consequences of sin. It's what he tells us about how he's a redeemer, a covenant-keeping God. You know, the gospel is right here in this passage. It's right there in the prayer I prayed in verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord. That Hebrew word, Lord, all capitalized, that's the word Yahweh. You know what that is? That's the covenant name God revealed to Moses at the burning bush. That's a name for God that only Israel had. That's God saying, I have come to you, Moses. I've come to you, Israel. I've come to you, Redeeming Grace Church. I've come to you to enter into a covenant relationship with you. I will be your God and you will be my people. So the whole story of God's word finds its theme in a person. The person and work of Jesus Christ is the focus of God's word. So when we hear God's word, one thing that we hope that might trigger is Jesus Christ, who is God's word to us and who's the center point of God's word. Jesus comes speaking God's word to us. Jesus comes as God's word, word to us. Jesus comes in fulfillment of God's word to us. And the good news is that Jesus came and he never wandered. Jesus stored up God's word in his heart and he never wandered. He never sinned. He never went astray. Instead, the pure and spotless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.21, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the good news of the gospel. God's word is the good news 
that he's a covenant-keeping God who's done everything necessary to bring wayward, wandering sinners into saving eternal relationship with him through Jesus Christ. That's God's word, and isn't it wonderful? If you haven't experienced that new life, he calls you to repent, to turn away from living for yourself and come and turn to him and put your faith in him and he will give you this new life in Christ. That's his word to us. And so the writer wraps up this section with this sweet little prayer in verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. As you start your devotions whenever you meet with God, Here's a prayer. Bring this one with you into your times of meeting with God. So there's the core need. He needs the word. He needs purity. He needs God. And he needs the word in order to live purely in a way that he can be in a life-giving relationship with the saving and grace, gracious God. Second is the core conviction. I will delight in your statutes, I think, summarizes the, the, the convictions of, of, of this man's heart, the, the desires of, of, of his heart. I will delight in your statutes. Look back at verse 13. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. Those two verses are in the present tense. Let's look at those first. Those are the kind of the, the here and now of his situation. First, he tells us something about his relationship with God. Did you catch this in verse 13? With my lips I declare all the rules of your what? All the rules of your mouth. Huh. My lips, your mouth. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about a face-to-face -face relationship with God. Don't read the psalm and miss the relationship. He's talking about a God who speaks when he reads his words. He hears his voice. These words come from his mouth. And then he receives them and turns around and he speaks them forth. Now, this is, this is tricky, isn't it? It's, we all have a lot of relationships, but we only have one relationship with an invisible person. Right? Hopefully only one relationship. With an invisible. If you've got more than one relationship, come, let's talk afterwards. But we have this relationship with a God that we can't see. So how, how does this work? Well, God the Spirit is in our hearts, and he works in our hearts while we read and hear God's word privately in a preaching time like this in conversation with someone else. And as we hear and read that word. He opens the eyes of our hearts. He brings light and illumination to our hearts so that we can connect with God, so that those words can make sense to us and land not only upon us, but work inside of us to change our hearts and desires and longings and plans so that we might be more like Christ and hunger and thirst for his kingdom. So reading the Bible is intended to be like having God talk to you face to face. Won't see him in that way, but, but we can experience him in that way. And if, if that isn't your experience, do you know, it can be. And I want to encourage you, if that isn't your experience, talk to God about that. Ask him for that. Plead with him for that. And enlist some prayer partners, enlist some friends to pray with you 
about this. Because God intends us to experience him, encounter him, and know him as Father, Redeemer, Savior, Shepherd, right here in the present tense of this life. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight. Delight is in your future if it's not in your present, in knowing God. So make that a place of prayer. Invite someone to come pray with you. Come see one of the elders if, if, if you'd like some, uh, some partnership and prayer in, in that with us as well. So there's a present part, and then there's a future part. Look at verse 15 with me, please. I will meditate on your precepts. I will fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your words. Here are, here are these resolutions, these commitments, these I wills. I will meditate. I will fix my eyes. I will delight. I will not forget. And I want to just, just camp out for, for a moment here on verse 15. I will meditate on your precepts. What does that mean? What does that look like to meditate on his precepts, to meditate on his word, on his law, on his commandments, on his statutes? Well, he, he unpacks that a bit for us here in the, the poetry of verse 15. He says the same thing two different ways. I will meditate on your precepts, parallel statement, and fix my eyes on your way. How do you meditate on something? Well, one way to do it is to fix your eyes on something. It's a, a fix your eyes. Think about that. It's a long, steady gaze, looking, studying, considering, memorizing, declaring. Is there anything in your life that you're looking at, studying, considering, memorizing, declaring? I met Leslie Harris in 1976, and I was looking and studying, considering and memorizing and declaring. I'm still doing that. Sometimes she looks at me and she says, Why, what are you looking at? I'm meditating. I'm looking at you. Sometimes we... <laughs> keep moving. Sometimes we, we need to declare these things out loud. I will meditate on your prayers. Uh, excuse me, on your Ways, fix my eyes on your precepts. I will declare these things. Sometimes as you meet with God, there may be nobody else there, but it might be helpful just even to declare as you're meditating, to declare what he says to you, to just say it out loud, to convince your own heart, to reason yourself out of doubts and darkness. And it sure helps if we can declare these things and say these things to one another. Now, you may feel like, I've tried meditating on Scripture and I'm not really good at that. And, and, and I get that. It's a learned skill. It's not something that, that you, you just wake up one day and can do. But I do want to encourage you with this. I guarantee you, you are already an excellent meditator. I guarantee that because every human being knows how to meditate. What do you think about when your mind drifts? What do you become animated and passionate about? Can you catch yourself when, when somebody asks you about something, you get so excited about it. Do you know why you're excited? Because you've been meditating on that. 
What do you love to focus on? To give attention to? So you're good at meditating on something. That's how meditation works. So he says, I will meditate on your precepts. Fix my eyes on your ways. And then he says in verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. Now here's where I want to just unpack a little bit a statute. What in the world is a statute? I could pretty well guess that as, as you went through your week last week, you probably didn't talk about God's word as loving his statutes, delighting in his statutes, unless you're working in, in, in this passage. This is, oh, this, as, I've, as I've had a chance to study these things over the past few years, this is, I think, my favorite one. A statute is an engraving. It's from the word for engraving. A statute is something permanent. So think about that. The Ten Commandments, you know what happened when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments? You know what he did? He engraved the words on tablets of stone. Statutes. The first Bible was physically prepared by God himself. These tablets, twice having to give them to Moses. And, and so the, 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 the engraved nature of God's word speaks to its enduring permanence. It never runs out of gas. You never need a 2.0. It's always true. It's always relevant. It never needs to be replaced. So it goes from tablets of stone to scrolls to parchments to physically handwritten Bibles to the Gutenberg Press to the smartphones and electronic devices that you have with you now. These are God's statutes, never-ending never failing, never changing. And Jesus comes along and says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Mark 13, 31. Why can he say that? Because they're statutes. They're engraved. They're permanent. I will meditate on my, I will meditate. I will fix my eyes. I will delight. I will not forget. These are his convictions. Let me just offer Two thoughts for sort of takeaways from this passage, these eight verses. I want to zero in on the word, word, and zero in on the word, meditate. So I want to say first, one takeaway is, let's think about how we can go wide with God's word. I have stored up your word in my heart. There's a breadth to God's word. So I mentioned all those different things that it covers, stories and gospels, poems, and prophecies. God's word is everything he has to say to us. So I want to encourage you, do you have a strategy to expose yourself, even if it's slowly, to all of scripture? We have these great Bible reading plans. If you read two chapters a day of the Bible, you can read the New Testament every year and the Old Testament every two years. If you can't do that, if th th there are other ways to, to do that. But I want to encourage you to find a way to go wide with the word. That's why in our preaching, we're committed to trying to, to preach through all these different sections of Scripture. And this year, we've been in Genesis 1 to 3, and then in Ecclesiastes, and now we're in Psalm 119, all in the Old Testament. Then we're going to go to the Gospel of Mark in September for an extended series there. And so you, you think, well, I, I, I'm, I'm a mom with little kids. I'm, I'm busy. I don't have time. Uh, to, to do a lot, a lot of that. So here's what I want to encourage you to. If, if that's your situation, if you're a busy commuter, you've got a demanding life right now, maybe there's a way you can just memorize a bit of Scripture, just a, a piece from here, or work on another piece from over there. And then when it's in your heart, 
You have a couple minutes, you're washing the dishes, you're sitting on the bus. Well, even then, you can work on that word. So we want to we try to find ways to get the width of God's word in our hearts. We also want to find ways to meditate. So go deep. Go wide and go deep. I will meditate on your precepts. Do you ever have this experience? Sometimes I feel like when I'm reading my Bible, it's like you ever see those water skimmers, little bugs, and they just, fl- I don't know how they do that, but they float around on the top of the water. And I can feel like that. I'm just floating around on the top of the passage I'm reading. But how can I get underneath? How can I dive into it? Meditation is how we get below the surface. I will meditate on your precepts. I wonder if that's a resolution because if he doesn't resolve to do that, he won't. Either I will or I won't. And so we need a commitment. There needs to be a re- resolution, a, a, a desire and a, and, and a plan. And I just want to leave you with, with three questions I came across a few years ago in a book on prayer from, by Tim Keller. I found these questions to be very helpful. If you're not sure how to get below the surface of the passage you're reading, here are three questions. We can send these out in the, the, after the, the email follow-up if, uh, if you can't write them down right now. But here they are. What do I learn about God for which I can thank or praise him? Start with God. Read the Bible. Every page is about God. He's in there somewhere. What do you learn about him? How can we thank or praise him? Second, what do we learn about ourselves? There's people in there just like us. And you know what those people have in common? They're always in need, right? So what do I learn about a need that I have? What do I need to be or become? Where is this passage pointing me on the way to becoming more like Christ? But don't leave the gospel out. This isn't just about finding a to-do list and working harder. How does Jesus Christ and the grace found in his gospel make change possible? Just work through those three questions. You can do that in 10 minutes and pray through those things over a verse or a couple of verses and I I think you'll find that, that you can begin to get below the surface. I don't always get there in my devotions. Sometimes I, I do the best that I can. Like, I never got below the surface. Okay, Lord, I trust you. I love you. I'm going to try again tomorrow. Sometimes we have times like that. Sometimes we have seasons like that. But let us be encouraged by this man's convictions. I will delight in your statutes. I'm going to keep meditating on your word.